0: Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 7? Verse 1 is where we're going to start today. By the way, I'm gone, and you guys covered like two chapters of Mark. It was probably a good thing I was gone. We covered some ground, right, while I was out. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, verse 1, who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, this isn't hands like they were washing for hygiene, um because by the way, if you don't wash you know before dinner or whatever, like at our house, that's a bad. Like you, you, but this is not that kind of washing. This was a ceremonial washing. And a ceremonial wash wasn't about cleanliness, it was about conforming to this po- uh, this uh, policy. And the policy was we would take a, an egg shell full of water and a half, and then we'd pour that over the hands of the priest. And that would they would be, it was a picture of the cleanliness of, the, of what Jesus would do. It was a, a picture of the future. But the Pharisees and the scribes of the law, they didn't want to be left out. So everybody had to do that now. Nothing to do with hygiene, everything to do with the ceremony. Does that make sense? So Jesus is not saying, kids, you don't have to wash your hands before dinner. That is not what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees, verse 3, and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of their elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Marcus, kind of making it clear to those who are getting this. This is, If you don't understand, this is what they were saying. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Jesus, trying to make friends here, says... I say it was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, You have let go of the commands of God, but you're holding on to human tradition, something that happens even to this day. He continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might be used to help, so this is stuff that could be used to help your father and mother, but I'm declaring it Corbin, that is devoted to God, which would be the equivalent of um, Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, he walks into the room, I declare bankruptcy. That's not how that works, right? But that, so what they're saying is there was a little bit of a loophole that the Pharisees were cutting into, which is you're supposed to help your father and your mother. That's the command of God. Honor them when they're old and they need your help. There were no such things as homes that could help them. But when you say, look, I have money, but I'm declaring it Corbin. I'm declaring this one devoted to God. Then I don't have to use it for that because I've declared it as that. I declare bankruptcy. I declare Corbin. He's saying, "Look, this is just a loophole that you've created. It has nothing to do with the commands of God. Everything to do with your traditions." And then, uh, verse twelve, right? Here we are ten, verse 10, 11, 12. Then no longer you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, verse thirteen, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. He could go on if he wanted to. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After uh, this, and by the way, if you've got verse 16 and it's blank, do you have a Bible where it's got 16 and there's nothing, there's a number? Here's what that means. The original transcript didn't have that verse. And all it says was, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you might say, see, that's why we can't trust the Bible. And I would say that's why we can, because we have transcripts. We know what was in there, what wasn't. You can argue whether it's God's word or not, but you can't argue whether it's accurate, because it is accurate as it was handed down from the beginning. So that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, Verse 17, I give you that for free. You don't have to pay any extra. Verse 17. After he had left the crowd, entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Verse 18, are you an idiot? He asked, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And in saying this, he declared all foods clean. I love this, Peter. This is Peter's story. I know David Shindell talked about that. Peter was the one that had the dream in Acts 10 about pigs in a blanket, right? No food is unclean. We can eat bacon now. Gloria a Dios. Keto. (laughs) This was Peter's words. And I love it because Peter was just basically my what I feel like is happening is he's, he's confirming. That's why we know it's unclean. It's not because I had some dream. It was me. Oh, I do remember. Jesus did say that. That was when he declared it. That's how you know if someone has a revelation quote unquote, that isn't confirmed by Jesus' words. It's not a revelation, that's heresy. But he was confirming what Jesus had already said, so that's what Jesus, the Holy Spirit through Mark is making sure we know. And he went on, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he lists, and if you can't find yourself in this list of 12, I recommend you read it again because this is all of us. The level, the the ground in front of the cross is level. We all need a savior. Sexual immorality, it's the word pornea, and it includes any sex, sexual behavior, sexual, whether it's pornography, it's all of it, whether anything outside of the confines of a husband and wife in marriage, that's that word. And you can see that was the word that was intended as it meant theft. What do you think it is? Stealing. Okay murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, all of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Boy, welcome home, Darren, huh? <laughs> That's God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word that we don't have to feel helpless or hopeless because you didn't come to try to create a new set of rules and regulations and policies and procedures. You came to transform us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. What a gift that is for us. We ask for your word to be a light and a lamp, as it always is. It's in your name we pray, amen. Um, Shannon and I uh, got to hang out in a few sites in Rome right? Did you get to go there, by the way? Were you? Yeah, Colosseum. Like, everybody was in Italy this month. I didn't realize. I did not get the memo. Like, tons of people were in Italy. Um, Got to go to the Colosseum, which was incredible. And what I was fascinated by was here and at Nero Circus and different places where Christians were killed, people would pay money to see Christians killed in these places Shannon and I, along with millions of other people, paid a few bucks and marched on the grave of Rome. (laughs) Like, this place where they intended to kill Christians, that empire died, but Christianity lives on even to this day because the Holy Spirit is alive and well. And it was, honestly, I was really blown away by the whole enterprise. Like, it was a fascinating, is worth looking at just, I don't know how they did these things. It was a mind-blowing experience. But as we traveled around, I saw some stuff that got me thinking, Tom, I don't know, maybe you would have thought the same things. I'm thinking, okay, they started with Rome with this very liberal, progressive, intellectual ascent, and that was what was going to keep their nation alive through liberalism, through uh, the progressive ideas. And eventually, it caused a civil war, it caused almost destruction from within, so liberalism didn't save Rome. And then they said, well, let's try legalism. Constantine comes along, and Constantine is going to use the name of Jesus in Christianity to conquer in his name. By the way, you can look all through scriptures, and you won't see a single verse that says conquer in my name, signed Jesus. Now, that said, both of those were not methodologies with which they could save their nation. And I would hear, I'm here to tell you, and what I'm hopefully going to show you today is that liberalism and legalism are both two ditches on the same road to redemption. That on the one hand, legalism says I have to align to this, obey these rules and policies and procedures, and liberalism in the same context in our culture right now is saying the same thing. That's not new. Rome was saying that 2,000 years ago. If you don't align with our deities, with our progressive ideas, you are out. And legalism in the, not just the Western church, the global church does the same exact thing and neither one are what Jesus intended and it was the warning that he was giving here to these Pharisees that you are not going to save yourself by what comes into your body. It's only by transforming what is already in you, your heart. That, that you could wash your hands with sandpaper and it won't solve the heart problem. He was never promising behavior modification. He's promising heart modification transformation. So in these few minutes that we have, I want to show you, first of all, what I, what, when it says to be clean, okay, that's what the whole context of this is, is how could these disciples be clean? What does that mean to be clean? Okay. And then what is it that uh, our methods as humans that we do to be clean and why those don't work? And then ultimately how we can be clean. Is that, we're going to follow that pattern today. So in the first few verses of this the idea of what does it mean to be clean? He's saying you follow the tradition of the elders. Now, he, by the way, being clean didn't mean following the commands of God. It meant following their traditions. And he goes on in, in, in verse 5. He says, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of elders instead of eating their food? That was defiled hands. Not hygiene, but the ceremony. They're on the outside. We're on the inside. Legalism is always about we're inside and you have to get inside by obeying these rules and aligning your behavior to these rules. Now, part of our sabbatical, I got to go home to Nebraska. It had been a while. It had been too long. I saw my dad. I hadn't seen him in a while. That's, uh, that's little Darren. I had uh, caught that. By the way, that's a clipping from a newspaper. Not because it's a slow news day, understand. In Superior, Nebraska, you catch a fish. That's a big news. <laughs> Darren's going to get on the cover of the paper because he caught a nine-and-a-half-pound largemouth bass. Which was, was, I felt pretty good about myself. Um, and so I'm on the paper. And, but as I was remind, like reminded back to those days, what I was reminded of was, you've heard me say that my parents free-ranged us right, like chickens, they just open the door in the morning and they know at some point during the day when the sun's going down, they'll come back. Every day during summer months, we'd go fishing. We would do whatever. We'd get our little BMX bikes. and By the time we came home that evening, we would be covered in just goop, just goop, fish guts, mud. Have you been like an August in a cow pond in August in Nebraska, it smells unpleasant. It'll turn your toenails orange, okay? You didn't know that, did you? It's free information for you. But my mother, God bless her, would not let us in that house unless we cleaned up before we came in. Get it, right? (laughs) Now, back then, that felt like an oppressive rule. Like, I gotta get, we'd be stripping down to our skibbies, Throwing everything in, he was tide country, throwing right into the wash. But here's the thing, if you've ever been around somebody who is unclean, it's not too much to ask. Maybe take a shower. You stink. The Pharisees, the people that even obeyed these rules that the Pharisees put in front of them, all they wanted was to be clean because to be clean meant they could be accepted. That was the promise of coming home. I could get home, I could go inside if I was clean. And to be clean, they have these rules and these policies and these regulations. And, and if you don't mind, could I define legalism for you in a way that I think will help? In the book of Genesis, if you hold your finger in Mark and go back to Genesis. I did Genesis because it's super easy to find. You can always get back to Mark. and You look really spiritual because you know right where Genesis is. One of these days, I'm going to drop a cuck on you and then we're... In the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the garden, God is telling Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Verse 16, if I could see it, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not, verse 17, eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It's... Uh, the idea that not that they will now know what is right and wrong, but now they get to decide what is right and wrong. That's That was the command. You shall not eat from that tree. Okay, you with me? Turn over one page to Genesis chapter three. The serpent is testing Eve, tempting Eve. We've talked about that before. You can't trust God. He's holding out on you. And so Eve says to the serpent, this is what God said, we must... We may eat from the trees in the garden, right? And God did say, this is what she said, God said this, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Now what's the problem there? God didn't say that. He said don't eat it. She added don't touch it and legalism was born. Now is it a good idea if you're not gonna eat something to not also touch it? Yeah, it's a good idea if that's the way the Spirit's leading you. But legalism, the traditions of the Pharisees say that this is a rule that God is doing for me and now I need you to obey it as if it is the word of God, not as a tradition of man. That is the definition of legalism, the policies and the procedures. And I'm telling you, in the, in the church world, we have done a, over the years, and I say we, I'm speaking primarily of Western church, a fascinating job of making rules and regulations and policies and procedures that you have to obey to get to God. I'm going to share one with you that we at Conduit have tried to address, and it's church membership. If you've been a member of a church Literally nothing wrong with that, nothing. But what I struggled with with church membership for us was that oftentimes when you're doing a church membership, you are signing a document, if you had to sign the document, probably in blood, some of you, that says, I have to do all these things, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, in order to be a member of this church. One of them, let's just step on this toe, crunch, tithing. You probably have either known somebody or been a part of a church where they said to be a member here, you have to tithe and I'm going to check your records. That actually, it happens. Pastors, they have good hearts. It's not like they're trying to do something. But here's the thing. Did Jesus ever say, you have to tithe to follow me? No, that's a rule. That's a tradition. That's a man thing. That is, is it good to tithe? Is it good to give and to live radically generous? Yes. But can you live and follow Jesus and not? Thank God, yes. Because his mercy and his grace is so big. The traditions, and I could go down the list. I spoke at my, the church I grew up in. And had I have been there 30 years ago, and I dress pretty much like I dress today. I might not have put the nice shoes on even. I don't know. Wear a fishing shirt and a pair of jeans. 30 years ago, I would have been slapped in the back of the head because tradition says I got to wear a suit and tie to be in church. If you're born in the last 20 years, that is like anathema. You're like, what? You have to do that? But what happened was tradition says we have to dress up. Now, where did that tradition come from? Have you seen photos from like the 20s, the 30s, whatever those old photos? And what do you notice immediately? Everybody is wearing a suit, a tie, a dress. They're all dressing up, except they're not dressing up. They're just dressing. That was what they wore. So we locked in with that in the church world and said, once society moved on from that, the church said, oh no, to be a member of this church, to be in the worship band in this church, you have to wear a suit and a tie, and you'll never get on the stage if you can't because we want to dress up when we go to the house of God. Is it a bad thing to dress up? No. The bad thing is making it the rule in order to get into the kingdom of God. And that's legalism. And God forbid that our church family falls under that. That we abandon the commands of God in order to follow the traditions of men. 20 years from now, man, wouldn't it be awesome if some young buck or Bucket, for all I care, who just preaches the word of God. It might be a new method. It's the same message. Continuing to let the spirit flow through here. Our danger is that we put a flag in the ground and say, this is just how we do church around here, and this is it. And then we begin to protect that methodology while the message is being squished. And God forgive us if that's where we fall. Will you hold me accountable to not let that happen? Will you hold us, all each of us, accountable to make sure that that's not it? Now that's legalism. On the other side of that is Liberalism. And I want to show you, and if you, if some of your blood pressure is about to go up, I want to ask you to take a breath. Now, well, look, when I'm done, you might still be mad, and that's totally cool. But at least give me a chance to say what I got to say, and then you can decide whether you hate me or not. Um, have you guys heard of this uh, political candidate um, named Marianne Williamson? Has anybody heard of her? Okay, so some of you have. I had not, to be honest with you, which is saying that's, that's how you know there's too many people running for president. I'm a news guy and I didn't know who she was. But this article this past week in the New York Times uh, was about uh, Marianne Williamson and her uh, policy, her thing, and what brought her to be who she is. And it tells the story of this sacred text, this mystical text that she follows called A Course in Miracles. Has anybody heard of that? People watch Oprah. So Oprah loves A Course in Miracles. Oprah loves Marianne Williamson. Here's what the New York Times was saying about this text. It's sold millions. Uh, it's not a homey book of bromides, feel good. Rather, it's taken from uh, the readers as a genuine gospel produced by a Manhattan doctor who believed, listen, she was channeling new revelations from Jesus Christ himself. Does that sound familiar? Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, yeah, it's the whole thing. It's always that, a new revelation from Jesus Okay, because in liberalism, progressivism, is um, a pastor here in town named Stan Mitchell said that what li- like progressivism is, is that this what you hold in your hand is a Bible, and we this was the best they knew, the best they understood at the time, but now we've progressed and now we know more. Okay, a, a further. Uh, revelation of Jesus. That's what liberalism is. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I just want you to know what it is so we're defining our terms. But listen, here is what Marianne says, and I didn't get a chance to put this in the slide. Here is why this resonated with her and why she still makes this part of what she wants to do to change the country. She says, before the course, before this book, I felt like I was on a desperate journey to find God, But as much as I climbed up this huge flight of stone steps in front of a cathedral, legalism, my knees bloody, my elbows bloody, the cathedral, listen, door was locked. And when I read the course, I thought, now I have the key to get in. The door was locked. That's what legalism has told us. It's locked and you can't get in. Now, I want to show you that by going from one ditch to the other ditch, she's going to find herself, just like anybody else who goes out of the ditch of legalism into the ditch of liberalism, you'll find yourself right back where you started, which was if I don't align with your belief, then I'm out. The only way to get clean, so to speak, to be accepted, to be let in, is to now align my thoughts with your thoughts. Um, Something interesting just happened Well, let me me do this, though. Let me at least get to the point of this, what Jesus said about this. Isaiah was right, he said, you hypocrites, that you are uh, honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're hard, is what he's saying. That's the, the idea that I can get clean now through legalism isn't gonna work because my heart is hard. And I'm saying through liberalism, it's not gonna work because it's really the same thing. Your heart becomes hard again. And to prove it to you, I want to show you on the other side of legalism, what, this, this just happened this week. There's a conference in Dallas, Texas. A guy named David Rourke, who's a good guy, loves the Lord, was kicked out of a conference because of his views on marriage, same-sex marriage. He had views at his church, and so this conference said, we don't want you here. Now, that's okay, a liberal view, whether you agree with them or not, that's the liberal view, And what they said was, if you can't believe that and say that, you are not in our circle. You're out. And said, um, with no sense of irony, said, since the beginning, one goal of Circles Conference has been to bring people of different worldviews and creative backgrounds together. While cultivating a collaborative and creative culture of our top priority is our top priority. We respect the concerns, fellow creatives. So in other words, you're welcome unless you have this view. That's just legalism with a different name. You're welcome unless you have this view. And what was the view that he espoused to? I'm gonna read you a quote that's the view. I believe that marriage is the union of a, between a man and a woman. Now for me as a Christian, for me as a Christian, it's also a sacred union. God's in the mix. Any guesses who said that? That was Barack Obama in 2008 when he was running for president. Now, has he evolved on that? Absolutely, he has evolved on it. The point being, though, that you could say that 10 years ago and people had room to disagree in our culture. We had room to say, okay, Obama says that, but even as a liberal, I don't believe that, So, but he has room for that. Liberalism and legalism don't work because the, it keeps changing. The doors get smaller. The room gets tighter. And so now 10 years later, someone says that and now you're out because it changed in my... My point is this. First of all, a conduit. There's room for you here. One of the beautiful things about membership, not having membership, I should say, is I'm not asking you to answer a membership question. This is a Jesus question. The, what did Jesus say? What are the commands of God? And then, do you, do you follow them or not? You're not out, right? Because you don't agree with my, what I see Jesus saying, Right? I believe that's gotta be the kingdom of God for us. What I love about Rourke's response, was he, he as a Jesus person, I pray that I would, I would respond that way if it were ever me being put on the outside. It wasn't about, you know, I'm angry and I'm hatred and I'm gonna fight for my right to party, I'm gonna fight, I'm going it was, you know what? This is a complicated issue and we understand that. I don't wanna cause any, he stepped out quietly. Let that be all of us. I can feel your blood boiling, some of you. <laughs> Can you at least admit to me that legalism and liberalism both have the same thing, which is that if you don't follow my rules and my regulations, you are unclean and you are out. And Jesus doesn't say that to either of them. Jesus doesn't say, climb these steps, bloodied, and then maybe you'll get in the door. He said, I am the door. i make a new door. It's me. And our attempts at being clean, our attempts at being accepted, as long as they're human in nature, whether it's legalism or liberalism, will never get to God because it's about behavior modification. And he's saying, that's not it. It's about heart transformation. And on your walk with Christ, God forgive us in the American church for putting sexual sin on this higher platform, right? A prideful preacher, full of pride, Preaching about sexual sin with no sense of irony. Jesus didn't put these in order of importance. It's a level playing field in front of the cross. We all need the same Savior. We all need the same cleaning. And none of us are going to get it by behavior modification. We're only going to get it from Jesus himself and the way that he makes us clean. He says in verse 21, For it's from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. It's from in you. No amount of ceremonial washing will ever get you in because it doesn't work. Uh, He's saying, it's it's kind of a crass way he's wording it because he's saying, if you just do that, you're eating it, it's going into your stomach and and he's saying out and he means exactly what you think when he says out. But But his point is, it doesn't even touch your heart and your heart is the problem. Now, that day, those people might have felt a little helpless and hopeless because he just said I can't wash he just said I can't get it clean this way what hope is there for me and I love it because he has promised Ephesians 5 verse 26 27 it's talking about marriage but in the middle of all that he says this reason Jesus talks about Jesus that he will present you his church as a quote bride blameless without blemish by the washing of his word. I'm not doing the washing, he is. That's the gospel. I love this because, um, I mean, we humans are no different. We're two, thousands of years of human history, but 2,000 years since these words were spoken, we're all still the same. He uses Isaiah 29, verse 13, to say that your hearts are far from me, you hypocrites. And then in that passage, by the way, just a few verses down, same prophecy saying, your kettle, your pots, your, you know, the potter, the clay, that whole thing, shall the clay say to the potter, right, it's who has the right you your clay, it's the potter who has that choice. And by the way, just in those first few verses, he actually goes and says, they also washed, they talked about kettles and pots. So the, Jesus is making a point here that is, that's beautiful. And look, if you don't get anything else I say today, and that's possible, I hope you get this. Saying to them in that same passage about the clay, the pot, in the Jewish culture, they believed in Leviticus, because Leviticus 13 says, if a clay pot gets something unclean, touches it, the only way to fix the clay pot is to shatter it and get a new one. That was Leviticus 11. We held this treasure, what? In jars of clay. Okay, okay. That's the promise for them, and so what they would do, their idea was instead of not letting anything unclean touch the clay pots, they just made stone pots because he didn't say stone, he said clay. True story. Now think, think, think with me. The stone pots, the legalism, the way around it, it's a rule, I can subvert the rule, go with the traditions of man. And by the way, in Israel, they literally just uncovered a stone quarry where they made these stone pots. In John chapter 2, Jesus was going to, to a wedding. And he was going to turn water into wine. We know all of this. And it says that they got out six pots, six giant vats. And what were those vats made out of? Stone. Six stone vats. People believe it's probably because this guy was a priest. So he knew the way around it so he wouldn't have to keep breaking all his clay pots. He'd just get a stone pot. But there's such a picture of this, if you'll hear me, that legalism, the idea, whether it's legalism or liberalism, is about me rigidly keeping these rules. The only destination, your final destination, is a hard stone heart. And what did Ezekiel say? The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 11 said that I will take your heart of stone and make it new again. The promise of Jesus wasn't to shatter the clay pot, wasn't to clean the stone pot. It was to give you a new pot, (laughs) to give you a new heart. Your hearts are far from me. You're honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And Jesus, the promise of the new covenant wasn't behavior modification. It's heart transformation. I'll put a flesh heart. I'll put a new heart inside of you. Without it, it's hopeless. Without it, all of us are Marianne Wilson climbing the temple steps with bloodied elbows and bloodied knees to find a locked door. But Jesus made another way. And the way he did it it says on the cross, final hours were coming, and the Roman soldiers, normally they would have broken their legs and let them suffocate, but on this day they didn't. They didn't have time, so they stabbed him in the heart with a spear, and from his side, from his heart, blood and what? Water flowed. His heart was destroyed so that your heart could be made new. That's the promise of the gospel. Anything else is a journey of bloody knees and bloody elbows. And there's room for all of us to come to Jesus at the cross and say, for my sexual sin, for my pride, for my arrogance, for my stealing, for my malice, for my lewdness. 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that I could be, so that you could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And in our culture right now, whether you're on the right or the left, you got to understand this Jesus didn't come to save nations, He came to save you. History teaches us one thing great nations rise and fall, but His words remain. I don't know how long our country lasts, I don't know. I know how long Jesus lasts. My point is, is if you're trying to use the political process to change your heart, it'll never work. You'll end up just like the Romans, you'll end up like the Greek, the whole production. Listen, Donald Trump cannot save you. Can he enact policies you like? Absolutely. Can Obama enact policies? Absolutely. But none of them can save you. The political process was never meant to, and it can't because one day every knee will bow. Every, mine, yours, Trump's, Obama's, Bush, Pelosi, we'll all bow. Not because we are forced to, there's a gun to our head or a knife at our throat, but because it's true that he is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And look, knowing he wants to save you, our greatest goal, our greatest hope isn't to transform the political process, it's to transform our own hearts and tell the whole world about that process that he wants to transform. The danger of us letting our culture tell us what's right and wrong is whose culture gets to tell us. Because I know my brothers and sisters in Uganda would rather our culture not tell them how to live their lives. The people in the Dominican Republic, the people whose culture gets, cultures come, cultures go, nations rise, nations fall, but Jesus, his words remain. Don't let your traditions overrule his commands. And what are his commands? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. On these two, hang all the other law and the prophets. That's the most difficult and simple thing I could ever say to you. (laughs) I wish I had more time. (laughs) Just know this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Liberalism won't save you. Legalism won't save you. But his love will save you. That's why he came. That's why he came. So that I no longer have to work my way in. And by the way, when you change from the inside out, for those of you that have done some of those changes, you know those are lasting changes. And that's what he wants to do. Stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. Would you continue to pray for our Uganda team as well? And obviously, uh, some of you will see you back tonight for the kickball tournament. The, it's going to be a great night. It'll be hot, but we'll have some air conditioners on inside of here. I just want you to know that Jesus opened the door and said, hey, come wide to the door. Come in. I'm inviting all of you in to come and to believe what I have said believe that I am who I said I was the son of God let's pray Jesus I pray that you would Lord would you forgive all of us when we make our traditions to make our culture be the one that tells us what's right and wrong and go to your commands what are your commands in scripture and Lord would you give us peace and, and patience for each other who might read the same scripture and have a different idea about it. Lord, would you give us room for each other to grow, space for each other? And I'm so glad that you didn't just leave it (laughs) with the Pharisees to fix us. Oh, what a miserable way. It might be, we'd be reminded of that every time we want to add a rule so that someone could be accepted that it's not that, that it's you, Jesus. We're thankful for that. It's in your name Jesus that we pray. Amen. By the way, when you hear the baby in this church, I want you to know, I love it. It's the sound of life. I preached at a church on sabbatical. There were no babies there. That's a scary thought. Okay? So just want you to know that's life. we love that. So bring your babies, we don't care. So uh, f- bring them all, make more. replenish the herd. So five o'clock uh, this afternoon, we'll meet back here again. So awesome. God bless you guys.